Hi, and welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I am Eva, a civil engineering professor and blogger on the side. And I'm Rico, a PhD student in civil engineering. Join us on this podcast in which we discuss all topics related to PhD life, research mechanics, and lived experiences. There will be interviews and discussions with guest researchers and PhD students. We hope you stick around with us on the PhD Talk podcast. Hi, and welcome to the 10th episode of the PhD Talk podcast. Now, in this podcast, we discuss all types of topics related to PhD live and, and PhD research. And one of the things we wanted to shine a light on is as well how the larger community of the university campus can contribute to your learning as a PhD student. So today we are delighted to invite a librarian to our show and we will be in interviewing Michelle Crowther. Michelle is the Learning and Research Librarian for Humanities and Languages at Canterbury Christ Church University in the United Kingdom. And she's also a PhD candidate in English Literature at CCCU. So with that said, a very warm welcome to Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. To introduce yourself to our listeners, could you describe your background and career path to us? Okay, so um, I studied history, first of all, at the University of Warwick. And um, after I graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And there was a recession. Um, but I saw a one-year graduate traineeship that was advertised at Chester College, which is now known as the University of Chester. And so I spent a year um, going around the different departments in the library and um, I ended up after that year doing a master's in library and information science at the University of Wales in Aberystwyth and then after this I went into public libraries first of all and had two very enjoyable years in a public library on the Isle of Wight which is a, an island off the south coast of England and then I moved to academic libraries and I've spent 24 years now at Christchurch in various different roles. Okay, so you've been at Christchurch now for 24 years, you said? Yes. <laughs> That's great. I guess you must love it there. Yeah, I do. Um, and over those 24 years, I've got married and I've had children and I've settled in this area. So, And, and it is a really good university to work for. Well, so you gave a bit of an introduction of uh, your path. Um, what was it about being a librarian that interested you initially? Was there something specific? No, there was this recession um, and I didn't really know what to do. And I saw this graduate traineeship. And after the year, I still had doubts I wanted to be a librarian. But it was when I did my library course that that really you know, opened my eyes to the possibilities. And I really enjoyed my year on the, um, the library course. And um, then you know, I, I started, as I said, in, in the public libraries and I enjoyed that. And then I thought I would try academic libraries. Um, but I'll be honest, there have been times over the years where I've sort of fought, uh, sort of internally fought what I do and sort, sort of questioned whether librarianship was right for me. But I, I think I've reached a time in my life now where I actually think that I can't imagine being anything other than a librarian. I really do enjoy what I do. I feel like this is a theme we've been seeing um, with our conversations between Eva and I and also in our interviews with other people is that 
there's often like a, a meandering path or the, the path isn't clear and uh, you just have to pick a direction and go for it. And everybody we've spoken to seems to be happy with that, yourself included. So I think that's good life advice for not only for PhD candidates, but just in general, just pick a path and go for it. Yes. And I think you have to make um, what you will with it. And there, there are some times that things haven't felt so good and I've had to force myself to change things by going maybe for a different role. Um, but, you know, now I'm I'm very content with what I do and it's always changing. So it's it's a great environment to be in. You mentioned that it's always changing. At this point in time, what tasks do you have? I've work for a wider team which is called the learning skills team and that's within the library and so we um, work with students and with academics um, and our primary role is to develop the information and digital literacy skills of students so I deliver workshops one-to-ones and I also advise program teams about how they can embed information literacy or digital literacy within their programs so um, you introduced I cover humanities and languages Um, I also cover health programs as well so I cover around 20 programs across four different schools so that can be quite a lot to juggle sometimes but you know, it does provide a lot of variety. So uh, you mentioned uh, that you work a lot in digital. Uh, I guess it wasn't always that way over the course of your career. And so if you could describe in a few words, how, what has changed a lot over, over the years? Okay, yes. So you're right. It has changed a lot in my career. And um, I remember my first job actually introducing an internet service to the Isle of Wight library service. And it was all very innovative at the time. And I'd, I'd, I'd gone through my undergraduate and my postgraduate courses without touching the internet. And one of the things I did that, that actually I found really interesting, so on my um, library course, I went to um, interview the BBC Research Library at the time, I interviewed the staff there for my project. And one of them said, you know, I can see that maybe email will catch on, but I'm not sure about the internet. I don't think we'll be using that in our library. And to think how the world has changed since that moment is incredible, really. Um, So yeah, you know, the work is much more digital, but also I've had to sort of you know, I'm constantly learning. And this last summer during the lockdown and COVID has has been a huge learning curve for me because, you know, we've had to deliver online, we've had to produce video content, you know, we've had to be creators of so much digital content that's much, much, much more than I ever had to before. And and it's been great, but it has been, you know, a massive learning curve. So, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that just this morning I was uh, logged onto YouTube, I was killing some time, and I, a video popped up for my library, the McGill Library. And uh, so I spent some time watching that, and I looked at, okay, when did this start? And it's only been in this year that there's really been content produced for that YouTube channel. And so I guess one of the ways that the librarians at McGill are trying to engage with uh, you know the, what's turning out to be the, the Zoom generation over here is using YouTube. And so... That was fantastic, and I spent some time watching some some content created by the, my local university librarians. I, I've created so many YouTube videos over this summer, um, 
And I, I suppose I was a bit of a perfectionist before. And so I wouldn't release anything until I was really happy with it. But also I was a little bit self-conscious as I've sort of got a slight lisp. And I, and I didn't like hearing my own voice. But I really had to get over myself and just get out there and do it. You know, because, you know, it's so vital that we can communicate with students during these really difficult times. And so, you know, I've just been really more determined to produce the videos. And, you know, I, I have enjoyed it. You know, I've sort of pushed myself into um, new new things. I was wondering if you've had any feedback from the students on on the contents. Has it created a, a back and forth? Do they now better understand um, what they can expect from the library? That's a really good question. I tend to look at my YouTube statistics and, you know, I'm sort of internally a little bit proud when I see, you know, the, the hits I've had and, and knowing that students are using this material. But I don't think I've really discussed with them how they felt about it. So I feel a bit bad. Now you've said that, I've got to go away and actually find out a bit more about whether they have enjoyed the content. Um, what has been really useful is that when I'm teaching online, if I have problems with my internet connection, or maybe the students can't quite engage in the way that they want to, I'm able to send them videos and know that they're going to receive that content even if they haven't been able to engage with the online workshop. So that's felt really positive that I can keep that level of engagement up. Yeah, and especially in, in COVID times when students may have additional care responsibilities or juggling different roles at the same time, it's, it's really great that they can have that flexibility to learn uh, at a time that is convenient for them. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so as a PhD student, uh, I'm very interested in this next question. In your opinion, and as a librarian, how can PhD students benefit from their university library and the resources that are offered by their librarians? Okay, so, well, I, you know, I think enormously, but then I'm very biased because I work in the library. Um, but um, I think increasingly I notice that I meet students who haven't actually physically engaged with a library at all during their undergraduate degree. And that's because they've relied a lot on um, e-journals and they haven't needed to go into a library. Um, and so this has a knock on when they become a postgraduate because they don't actually see what value a library has for them. And, and, and what I would say is, you know, if you actually talk to a librarian, you'll find that there is a lot that you can learn. Um, You'll be surprised that um, we often see connections between resources or we'll, we'll know about organisations that um, have uh, archives. And uh, we have like a wealth of experience, but also a sort of a brain that understands structure and how um, uh, information is organised and how databases are, you know, structured. So um, we'll always look for connections. And we're also really, it's almost ingrained in us that we want to help people. So we'll always try and find a solution. So, you know, I think um, to assume that we only deal with print things is perhaps what, what people associate because our job titles have like the word library in it um but it but we're not we're very digital now and um you know for the last year i've been working in my bedroom on the laptop i haven't entered the library and yet i still um 
you know, can support students and um, we're sort of an underused resource. And, and I think everybody should just get to know their librarian, really. As a follow-up question to this, what kind of um, questions do PhD students typically come to you with or to your colleagues? Quite often, we have a, a graduate development program uh, or research development program. So um, all the students will meet um, our research librarian and she will tell them about our services. Um, it really depends on the students. Some students are very sure about what they're doing. They, they don't feel that they need that support. But others will come and talk to us. And we do have like a, a research package. I don't know if you know Sage Research. Um, it's a, a big package of research tools. Um, so we, we will support students with that. We do a lot about with reference management tools. So we work with like Mendeley and Zotero and RefWorks. So we know about things like um, alt metrics and social media impact and and things that possibly research students probably wouldn't think of asking us about. Um, and obviously document supply. So um, in, in the UK, the British Library supports document delivery to um, all the university libraries. It's all those little sort of facts that we have that we can support people with. So, um, yeah. Very wide variety of, of things to help PhD students with. I, I, I wish I knew more, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, so because I support the language students, I've tried to understand a bit more about corpus linguistics and how you can um, data text mine to analyse language because, you know, I see this as a big growth area in, in sort of digital resources. So I've sort of tried to create a small guide just to help them. But I, I am conscious that, you know, I'm not the subject specialist. I, you know, I'm not... Um, able to really do that to the full extent, but I can direct them to resources they can find about it. So that's why I try and do, try and look for those connections that research students might have and point them in the right direction, I suppose. Corpus linguistics, and if I understand correctly, that's like drawing from the natural language that occurs in the world and trying to use like machine learning and I guess computer techniques to analyze that. Yes, it is. And, you know, I'm not um, an expert in linguistics. I'm not an expert in statistics. But, you know, I just try and understand which resources are there so that I can point students in the right direction, really. I mean, statistics is always something that's very difficult, um, you know, if you're not a statistician. We're, we're more uh, way markers in, in those sorts of subjects. Uh, so we don't always have... Um, very uh, specific subject knowledge, but we are very good at pointing people in the right direction. So we may not understand how a statistical package works, but we know it exists and um, we will try our best to support people and find them somebody who will support them. So, you know, I think librarians just like to uh, find solutions, really. I think that's that's commendable that you try and keep abreast of the different research methods and the different topics that are becoming prevalent in whatever field you're working in so that you can inform your PhD students about them. Even if, as you say, you're not the subject matter expert, you can probably point them towards somebody who is. Okay, so now that we're in the midst of this global pandemic and everybody's sort of working digitally, how does the support that you offer different in the digital realm as opposed to on campus or in the actual physical library? Yes, um, we used to offer one-to-ones for students in, in little pods, um, sort of little um, IT pods on the ground floor of the library. And they were popular, but 
not as popular as they could be. And sometimes students would say, um, we don't really want to walk over to the library because our library is 10 minutes away from our main campus. So they'd say, oh, I don't want to walk over to the library for an appointment and then have to go back for a lecture. So that now we're, we're remote and we can offer it uh, online, you know, it has soared the, the demand for this because students can fit it in much more around themselves. So we have like a digital um, calendar. Um, we uh, offer one-to-ones certain hours of the day so students can just pop in for those one-to-ones so that's been a real positive I think because if you're if a student isn't based in Canterbury which many of our students aren't you know they're based maybe in other towns in Kent and they travel to the university they can book these appointments you know on their days off from home so it's not a problem anymore that's something I think is really positive I worry about how we're going to maintain that when we do go back to the library because I do have a shared office and I don't know how my um, colleagues are going to cope with me on a headset so so yeah I think that is really positive Um, and also it has been different in that when I'm in the library I put the student in the what I'd call the drive-in seat. So they control their mouse. They they look things up and I sit next to them and I talk them through it. When it's online, a lot of students have been turning up for these meetings on their phones. So I end up controlling the, the mouse and I'm sort of demonstrating to them. That's been a bit different. You know, we prefer it if the students be more active in their learning. But um, as long as they're learning, that's the main thing. Thanks for bringing a positive spin onto the, uh, onto the COVID pandemic. I had a follow-up question on this. Um, if you look at the library as a physical space, how, how has that changed over time uh, now that there's so, so much more resources that students can access online? Have you seen a change in the way the space is used by students? Yes. Yeah, so we have much more um, computer space and um, sofas and space where students can do group study work. So um, it's not the sort of building that is really um, stuffed with books. So, you know, there's lots of space to do other things. So, but it was designed like that. Our building's only, I think it's about 11 years old. It's very light and airy. It's, it, it won architectural awards for being this beautiful space. And, you know, you do get that sense that you don't have to just like sit there with a book. You can do other things. Um, and the students really value the fact that we have um, uh, Mac computers. So we have lots of students who do digital design. So we have spaces where people can be sort of creative. And so um, there's always been that sense in our library that it's not just about books and there is a digital element and our IT supports in there as well. So, um, yeah, so obviously COVID presented challenges in that we had to close our doors for some time but we are now open again um so i think students can browse and they can and borrow books but you know it's not the full service perhaps as a side note to that at my university here in ecuador some time ago there was quite some discussions on the actual function of our library whether we want it to be a quiet space for people to concentrate and be able to study or more a meeting space where people can collaborate and uh, where groups can get together. So there was a little bit of a uh, discussion on, on, on how we want to use the physical space. That's, that's the background to my question. It's more a curiosity question. 
our library is on uh, three, four floors because we have a ground floor and um, we have different zones. So each floor is a different zone. So we have silent zones where people cannot you know answer their phone or anything and then we have um, group study zones where you know you walk in and it you know the noise is quite intense because people are chatting away and they're studying together and we can do that quite well because we have you have this huge atrium in the middle and then we have all these doorways off so our spaces can be quite discreet yeah I think it's quite a popular building as well um I don't know if you've heard of this sort of like term a sticky building people want to come there and you'll we notice um because we have 24 7 uh sometimes of the year that you the students will leave main campus at say 5.30 and then the the social space of the university is the library and so people are very attracted to come into it. I'm looking at it now online since you mentioned the architecture and uh, it is really a beautiful building and I'm, I'm looking at the photo of the, the atrium that you're talking about and yeah it, I could see how it would be inviting to the students of, of the university. Okay so Michelle what would you give as a piece of advice or what would be your best piece of advice for PhD students uh, and researchers in order to use the library effectively and take advantage of all the resources offered? Okay, so I would say get to know your librarian because it will be worth it uh, and get to know your library um, because as an undergraduate, when I did my first degree, I didn't go on my library tour. I thought, I don't need to know about how a library operates. Why would I want to do that? And, um, you know, it's been one of my biggest regrets because as I've been through a library course and then worked in libraries, I can see there are so many advantages for students of getting to know them. You know, we have some amazing special collections in our library that students wouldn't be aware of particularly because they're you know in locked stacks whereas if they talk to their librarian they'll happily enthuse about the special collections and tell them about them they're all in my area so that's why I like to enthuse about them but you know we have a lovely um, literature collections and you know I think I think that's why you need to get to know your library I think the perception is driven a lot by the media and uh, we're not all uh, bun wearing sort of cardigan wearing librarians you know it, it's a really vibrant community to become part of i would agree that that's probably the biggest misconception that i found regarding libraries and librarians in general i've always found them uh, yourself included very bubbly and very you know outspoken in a lot of ways as a space as well the library is often an inspiring space right i think so and also i i like to show students print journals because although i know that they find everything online now i think it's really an interesting concept of the sort of periodical publishing and how you know it, it comes in this print form and gets bound into a volume and, and particularly for phd students if you want to publish if you understand what the academic publishing world's all about I think that's really important and a library can give you that sense of gravitas around academic study I think. So our next question is which book or books would you recommend to PhD candidates and early career researchers? Um, so a, a book that I found very useful is one called Doing a Literature Review and it's um, one of the SAGE research um, books. Although I 
teach people to literature search all the time, the actual process of cre creating a literature review um, and sort of summarising all that body of knowledge and um, the language behind how you construct a literature review was something that had sort of bypassed me a little bit throughout my career because I was so busy telling people how to find the stuff. And it was only when I did... Um, we were all encouraged to do a course on academic practice in the university. And I did that. And suddenly I read this sage book and it was just like a revelation. And, you know, it was talking about sort of literature reviews that come out like, like a laundry list where people just like list all the different authors and don't really critically analyse it. And it was like a Damascene conversion. It was like, wow, this is what literature reviews are about. And I thought of all the articles I'd read over the years where I hadn't really twigged what was going on. And so I would, I would recommend the Sage Research one. We will make sure to link to this book in the show notes as well, um, especially since literature review is a topic many PhD students struggle with. Uh, I've seen a lot of PhD students not really knowing very well how to carry out the, the literature review. And even when I review papers as a reviewer, many times the literature review is like the weakest part of the argument. So very interesting book. Thank you for that. You know, for me, it was just the language spoke to me. And I think that would be my biggest advice on, on choosing a research text um, uh, to help you with your PhD is it needs to speak to you as a person. And I had to, to do some statistical analysis for work. And I probably went through about 10 different books and none of them connected with me. And I realised why. It's because they're written by statisticians, for statisticians, not for librarians. And when I chose one that was the statistics for librarians, I actually got it so much better and felt so much more comfortable. So, you know, don't feel bad if you have to reject 10 research manuals. Just keep carrying on and find the one that really, really speaks to you and really, you know, the language that you want to hear and understand. Because sometimes people do write in a way that doesn't connect. And, and that's just life. So, Michelle, to sort of end off here, uh, I'd like to know, and I'm sure listeners are curious about what a day in the life looks like for you as a university learning and research librarian. OK, so it's non-stop variety. That's what I would say. I think people think libraries are going to be really boring and quiet, but it's not at all. It really requires an agility of mind that sometimes can be quite exhausting. Um, and there can be peaks and troughs in our work as well. So obviously at the start of the academic year, semester one is really intense with orientation and workshops. Semester two can be a bit quieter. And that's um, a time when I try and offer work placements to students and try and work with individuals. So um, it is nonstop, but I, I enjoy being busy. So that's good. The thing that's changed with COVID is I seem to spend most of my life with a headset on now. Um, so that's new. <laughs> and I suspect that won't go away either. Um, and also the very nice thing is I get to have lunch with my husband every day, which is very nice. <laughs> So thank you for listening. This was episode 10 of the PhD Talk podcast in which we interviewed Michelle Crowther on her work as a university librarian. Thank you for listening and I hope you'll join us next time.